Welcome to Nice Ashes. I'm Nate. And I'm Mike. What are we smoking today, Nate? We are smoking a 5 Vegas Series A. In the last episode, we smoked the 5 Vegas Classic. I think we still have a 5 Vegas Cask Aged to smoke. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, yes, so we're we kind of do. doing the 5 Vegas line uh, of this. Uh, this one comes with the... What is that? That's a cedar sheath? Yes, I would call that a cedar sheath. And it's more of a Maduro. The classic was a Connecticut looking, at least. Maybe it was a Habano, but... This is darker. Definitely darker. Uh, the head stayed intact when I cut it. Okay, I'm just about to cut mine. We'll see. That was uh, the issue with the classic was both of ours, when we cut them, the cap deteriorated uh, and got damaged. So hoping that this one is a step up and it is for me as well. Perfect. So we got a good start. We've got a better start anyway than last time. So I'm going to yes. get lit here and then we will talk about our topic. The draw on this one's a lot stiffer. Yeah. I have to warm my, uh, so even though I'm in my garage, uh, with a, I've got an oil heater next to me that's been on. Um, my lighter does not like to light in cold weather, so I'm just warming that up in my hand uh, momentarily. So that I'm I can also get... warming mine up. Okay, mine's just on my desk yeah. with a window open. But you keep it. It's a little cooler in your uh, area when you it have is. the windows open. It is. And it's not chilly. It's been super comfortable here. Mine is at full light. Mine as well. Um, and I should have mentioned at the end of last episode, but my fan has been working tremendously. So I highly, highly recommend uh, if you like to smoke cigars and you're not allowed in the house or you just don't want to in the house uh, and you want to smoke in the winter. Uh, my garage is not insulated, but with the oil heater, I've got a, a heavier jacket on, but I'm perfectly comfortable out here. Uh, and I just got a $30 fan from... Uh, from Menards, so it's oh, uh, it's brushless. It's over my workbench, so I can use it to take out the you know paint fumes and stuff too. So, um, but I highly recommend it. It's it wasn't that hard. I did it kind of in three phases. You know, I I hung the fan, then I wired the fan. Uh, well, Mike Mike helped me wire the the switch. You know, two years ago, and uh, I wired it in myself with only asking Mike once uh, a question. So I'm getting better at uh, the electricity stuff. And then uh, yesterday, uh, well, you know, yesterday, a couple days ago, a couple weeks ago, when you listen to this, I uh, I put the vent ventilation ductwork in uh, and I only got two small cuts on my hands. So all in all, a win. Well, there we go. Are Not you still bad. doing the, uh, the Northeast? Yep, I'm doing Northeast. And I am still doing the uh, Lagunitas Maximus. So, um, in between seasons, I had asked Mike about some more, uh, I don't know if you would call it political or gover governmental, uh, but just getting uh, getting myself a little disillusioned with kind of uh, this whole capitalist system. And for a lot of times I told people that we're not really capitalist and we're more consumerist and, you know, and Mike and I have talked about corporations kind of running things 
So I don't know if you would really call us capitalist or if that is just something a capitalist apologist would say, you know, sure. like, hey, we're not we're not really capitalist. We're not, you know, laissez faire or whatever. Um, but I don't know, because I was looking up countries that have the highest happiness of their citizens and stuff, you know, and it's like, you know, Denmark and uh, Sweden and, and those places. And I think we're like 25 or something. Oh yeah. It's not great. So anyway, uh, the, the, it's, yeah. it's insane when you look at our happiness index, but that I've heard, uh, I've heard a criticism of it that it's not, um, they don't define happiness well enough to be able to make those accurate. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, and that's, that, that could be true. Um, but so it just got me thinking like, well, if what we are right now today isn't working what would you know because it's easy to say well i don't like how it is right now but it's harder to say this is what we should do to fix it or this is what we should strive for or to become and uh i was asking mike if he'd read a couple books and i don't think he i don't think you had and i hadn't i haven't read them yet either but you came back with <clears throat> confessions of an economic hitman yes and so you yes, had previously read it and you, you re-read it or re-listened to it. I did. I did. Uh, did you like it? Ah, me liking it. That is a two-part thing because I actually did not read Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Really? What, what I read was New Confessions of an uh. Economic Hitman, which is the second <laughs> edition. So from what I can tell is the majority of the book is the same. Mm -hmm. And then he added on 12, not one or two, 12 additional chapters, um, bringing, bringing the book current to about 2019. I right? also read new confessions of an economic. Oh, okay. But, but you <laughs> but you initially read just the regular confessions, right? Yes. Yes. So was it drastically <laughs> different or was it very similar? No, it was the same thing with extra stuff slapped on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. So um, I'll tell you that I think – so these – so let's just say uh, these chapters, they're not long. They're not long chapters. Um, he, I wouldn't I wouldn't call him a great writer. I would say he's, you know, better than uh, the woman who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey. But, you know, he's not uh, not an overly proficient writer. Uh but he was saying a lot of things that I had kind of thought or kind of suspected. And I know one of the big criticisms of the book is uh, that he's a conspiracy nut. But I will say that I enjoyed what I considered to be the original chapters from the original book. Yes. And when I started checking – so I read mine on Kindle. And so when I started checking the table of contents, I was at chapter like 33 or 35. And I'm like, my God, like how many more chapters of this shit can there be? Um, but I don't know. Do you want, do you want me to talk about like the thing that I didn't like at the end, like in the new chapters, I guess. Sure. Before sure. we delve into like, let's get all the criticisms out of the way and then we can delve into what he actually talked about. Sure. Um, so part of his, his thing is, uh, or, you know, kind of running recurrent through the book is his guilt over the role he played in, 
this economic hitman role. And, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But he wanted to add in in this new confessions because he felt that he wasn't doing enough simply by exposing it. He had to tell us how to fight against it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'll read the rest of these new chapters to get to the point where he tells me how to fight this, uh, what he calls a cor corporatocracy. Am I saying, I think I'm saying that right. But basically where corporations, corporatocracy, corporatocracy where, um, where corporations basically run everything and make all the political, de political decisions and stuff. But so to fight, this is, this is like, like, and I think, I think it was number one, like what you as an individual can do. And then he went like what you as a corporation can do, what you as an entrepreneur can do. Yeah. What you as a student can do. Uh, yeah. What you so, as a retired so, person yeah. can do. So on and so forth. So like in the individual one, like number one was stop using plastic bags. And I'm like, yes. are you fucking shitting me? Like 70, more than 70% of all pollution in the world is created by corporations. And so even if every individual today stopped driving gas cars and stopped using uh, plastic straws and stopped using plastic bags, we're only knocking it down by like 25%, which is not enough to save anything. So maybe he's in on the corporatocracy take or corp, whatever the fuck take, you know, I don't know. But like, I just like all like that recommendation, like I understand be good to the environment. I'm not saying go out and use a uh, shit ton of plastic bags and then light tires on fire and that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, you're talking about economic hitmen and I can combat them by not using a plastic bag. Right. This seems a little impotent. It seems extremely yeah, yeah, impotent. Uh, yeah. I, what I, I didn't like, and I'm sure this, you might bring it up. A lot of what he was talking about had to do with stock portfolios and things like that. Yeah. That really only rich people can do, you know, like I'm not directly in charge of my stock portfolio. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I yeah. have a stock and then he's portfolio. Like, the he's majority like, of people, letters. people don't. Write letters to your CEO if you're not the CEO. Like write letters. and Yeah, okay. I'm going to write letters to the company whose CEO doesn't even know I exist, and I'm just going to be right. a giant pain in his ass. What is he going to do? Get this guy out of here. <laughs> you know? Like, right. Yeah. They'll find something, you know? They will find somebody else yeah. for sure. For sure. So I wasn't super thrilled about the last chapters and, and the new add-ons. I wasn't I, – I guess I did like um, kind of how he was talking about uh, with student loan debt and mm -hmm. mortgages and stuff and how – uh, the economic hitman like model has transitioned to the American citizenry. Oh yes. Um, so that was interesting, but he kind of ended on a super kind of lame note. So overall I would say I enjoyed the book for what it was, but I almost would have preferred to have just read the, the base one, you know, or the first edition. Right. None of it to me was revolutionary in what it revealed. It was more no. of a confirmation of – it's kind of like the Twitter files that we talked about. Yeah, exactly. Episode. Nothing was particularly revolutionary. It was just a confirmation of what more or less everybody already knows but is denied uh, by every power broker around. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like so uh, all the lobbyists, you know, like – 
How yeah. are the 30,000 people who are lobbying 400 people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. And like you said, it was a confirmation on things that I had suspected or felt myself and things that even you and I had talked about um, on this podcast and off this podcast where, you know, we're a corporate corporate America, you know, we're consumerist. We're not really based on capital. It's we got to buy the new thing Elon Musk put out. We got to buy the new thing Apple put out. We got to watch the new thing Disney put out, you know, consume, consume, consume. Absolutely. And, you know, and he talks about that, like having a death mentality, but that or a death economy mindset versus a life economy mindset. And then he does what most of these people do, right? Um, he goes and, and speaks at places. Well, then he has to discover like shamanism or something. Right. Right. And then he has to kind of pedal that. So, um, right. and I he, think he pedals shamanism to extremely wealthy people. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of most of these big corporate speakers, right? Like they hire you to come in and you can't come in as like a Christian. So you come in as like a, a shaman or a Buddhist or, you know, anything else outside of the Western Western sphere. And you say, well, you know what really changed my life was shamanism. And it really opened my eyes to not using plastic bags or something, you know, and then right. he's talking about if, if I can dream a better future, then I can have it. But that's like only half of the battle. And, it's like, have you put together a plan before in your life, man? Like you have to have like an idea or a dream first, but then you have to actually right. like, you know, work it through. So some of that stuff felt kind of, um, I don't know, corporate hokey. I could say hokey, hokey. Did we decide hokey was racist or not racist? I don't remember. I, I don't think it's racist. I don't think it is. I, if it is, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what else I would use. Um, but anyway, like, so, so it was kind of a weird balance where it was like a lot of the stuff was like, holy shit, like, this is exactly what I suspected or what I thought. Um, and then half of it was kind of like this guy though, you know, like, I guess I understand that he has like some guilt, but he kind of grew up rich. And, uh, uh, well, he described himself as being very poor. Yeah. At his private school. He was still a member on the edges of the elite class. So it's not like he grew up poor. No. He grew up poor amongst the elite. Yeah, poor in comparison. Right. Comparable to the people he was directly interacting with on a daily basis. Um so it's 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 one of those things where you have to take it with that perspective. He was spent his entire life being a, a member of the elite class. Yeah. You and then he, goes, he he talks about how he, you know, and I don't know how much of this is like daddy issues because in the first few chapters, he was lamenting how his parents didn't want him to date a poor woman, but he really liked this one poor woman. And by poor, we mean middle class, right? Like <laughs> not, not poor, poor. Not that right. there's anything wrong with liking somebody poor, poor, but that was this thing was like they were part of this elite upper echelon, even if just barely so. And to date somebody middle class was frowned upon. And, you know, when your dad tells you not to do something, you get salty about it. And then right. you either go on to be a stripper or you have a podcast. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, uh, you go write a book about becoming an economic hitman. Um, <laughs> but then he's talking about being groomed by the NSA and stuff. And so I feel like he thinks his story 
is commonplace, but I assure you, nobody from the NSA is grooming anybody from my hometown in northern Wisconsin. You know what it I mean? It was commonplace for people in his environment. Yes, in his but sphere of influence. For but, everybody else. But he wrote like it was commonplace, like it was an everyday thing. You know, like, right. oh, anybody could be groomed by the NSA to do what I did. And uh, But that's that's simply not true. So, I mean, you know, there were some things that I thought were very fascinating and interesting. And, uh, okay, so I did see, well, okay, I feel like we're getting kind of like into this because you and I are in the know and we've both read this. So yes, um, let's, let's back up and let's talk about what an economic hitman is, or at least what he says it is. Yes. And then we'll, then we can go through and kind of like delve into this a little more, but, uh, so far I'm really enjoying this cigar. It is, it's good. Yeah. 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 So far, it's good. I'm uh, so a quarter of the way through, something like yep. that. Yep. It's uh, dark, really even. Yes. Not like uh, spectacular as far as a crazy uh, uh, flora or a, a crazy uh, bouquet of flavors, but it's good. No, it's good. And it's uh, it's dark, but it's not one of those ones that we've had where we've, uh, what was it? There was one I remember when we both like took our first puff off of it, and we were both like, "Oh God, that's that's strong and dark." So, uh, is that one of the that. nubs? I can't remember uh, if it was a nub or not. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it doesn't go back matter. and listen. Go back and listen, because <laughs> um, uh, we because we certainly won't. Um, but it's not that dark. It's uh it's an approachable dark, I would say. But that's uh, very do you, pleasant. Do you wanna do you wanna take the what is an economic hitman? Yeah. So an economic hitman is. Somebody who's working, working typically for a corporation or an NGO. They can be NGO people. Yeah. But their goal is to get third world countries or poorer countries to get loans that they cannot afford to pay back to hire U.S. corporations or Japanese corporations or whatever country these corporations are from to hire them to build infrastructure or to hire them to install military installations or whatever. And the goal is to get these leaders to sign up, enrich themselves personally, indebt the country, and that country essentially becomes a debt slave to American corporations and American empire. Yeah, because the whole thing was empire building without military action was kind yes. of his big thing. And his role was to put together these presumably highly detailed economic forecasts of how these loans would improve the country. And falsify them if necessary. Yes. Or exaggerate. Well, get the, get the, uh, get the answers or get the model predictions that were necessary to secure the loans. Yes. Get the loans for the infrastructure. He worked mostly with electrical power grids, but as he said, every group had their own EHMs and they were all trying to make predictions for roads and bridges and dams and whatever. It didn't matter what it was. The important part was making them take out a huge loan they couldn't pay back so that they would be snared up in the American global economic model yes and he and he talked about um a lot of coups and mm -hmm. toppling 
uh, country leaders that were refused to play ball. And so he called, he called himself and people like him the economic hitmen, but he called the cleanup crew or the mercenaries the jackals that would come in and either straight out assassinate somebody or orchestrate their downfall. Yes. And um, they're two sides of the same coin. Well, yeah, and, and these mercenaries were not uh, not employed by the CIA. They were so that was the whole point of this was these people were employed by private industry, and they wouldn't send in military units or CIA units. They would send in mercenaries because they didn't have to play by the same laws or rules or anything. They, they weren't government sanctioned, you know. Heavy air. Quotes. They were government trained, but they were, they were working government for trained. They were operating under government instruction, but they were getting their payment from somewhere else. But it was being funneled through these loans, right? So the government loans were funneling through these other corporations, and the corporations were then paying these jackals to assassinate people allegedly, and uh, and do those things. So the government could have clean hands. Again, heavy air quotes. Um, and so on and so forth. So. One of the critiques that I read about the book was some, there was somebody who, who was quoted that, uh, uh, yeah, he, uh, so the author, is it John Perkins, mm-hmm. uh, claimed that the CIA like offed this president for like a $4 million loan or something. And that just doesn't seem like an amount big enough to assassinate somebody over. And I thought, well, try telling that to somebody who just got stabbed in an alleyway over 20 bucks. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's no amount small enough that somebody won't kill somebody else over. Right. So, and $4 million now is not $4 million in 1975. Well, no. Yeah, for sure. And even so, like, and he was also talking about billions back then. Yes. And stuff. But it's like, you don't get to decide how much money somebody's going to kill somebody over. It could be $5. Right. And it's you know, it's like, not only a lot of this stuff. If you look at the history, especially of South America, it's not only the loans that the new president is signing up for. It's how are they going to service the debt that they inherited? Yeah, Because if they don't service the debt they inherited, that's just as bad as falling out of the game. You know, that was one of the big things when Nicaragua turned was that the new government didn't want to take on the loans of the dictatorship that was backed by the U.S. government. Yeah. And that's a big no-no. So now you're a communist, you know? Yeah. It's kind of reflect that the old communist hysteria is very much reflected in the current hysterias we have now. Yeah, and I liked that where, and that was one of the bits of the new chapter that I liked, uh, along with the, you know, private citizen debt that's kind of ramped up like crazy. But when he was saying, you know, back when I was doing this, it was all anti-communism. And now, since 9-11, it's all anti-terrorist and, anti, you know, so they just shift it. They shift that that hatred or that fear. And he talked about debt and fear in there. So, you know. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all the same game book, you know. Yeah. The same I, play. And I've thought for a long, long time that most of what happens in America is based off of fear. You know, the newscasts, it's always fear. This is, a, this is frightening. This is scary. Um, and the political, you know, rhetoric and stuff when they do their addresses or their speeches, it's all fear, 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 you know, but as Americans, we can, we can persevere, but 
you have to rile up the fear factor first. And so it doesn't matter where that fear is directed other than it's being directed by the people that are supposedly in charge. Well, they, I mean, they are in charge, but they're supposed to be stewards, I guess. Like, that's what I would I would say, but they're not because they're only stewards for their own pocketbooks. Right. I've often heard it said that it's no coincidence that Anderson Cooper is a Vanderbilt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so... And I would consider somebody like Anderson Cooper to be an EHM in his own way. Yeah. You know, he's part of the propaganda machine that fuels people's acceptance of invasions of countries. So, Exactly. So uh, having read the original in this one, do you have any uh, insights or, or different thoughts from the first time you read it? When was the first time that you read it? I read it a long time ago, like in college or something. It was right when it was out, it was floating around the college I was going to. Okay. Maybe it wasn't in college, but it was right around that time. It was years and years ago. And then I read it again a couple months ago. And then again a couple days ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, when I was in college, I was exposed to a lot of this, like, uh, I don't want to call it anti American, but it's questioning the narrative that we're told, you know? Yeah. And uh, maybe very cynical. <laughs> well, Shocking, and, I know. <laughs> you know, you can, I think, I think, I think you can, you can like America as an idea and you can still kneel during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they're not mutually exclusive unless you're the media. If you're the news media, then it's one or the other. You know, right. Well, so I love the ideals that America stands for, but I also despise the fact that to my awareness, America has never fulfilled those ideals in any meaningful way. Yeah. Uh, at any point. Without right? great pressure. Well, there at, we at no time have ever fulfilled the ideal of America. Uh, for one reason or another, you know, it was slavery and then it was extreme racism and it was genocide. And, you know, now it's the crazy war, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, at any different period of history, we've always, or our government and our society has always failed to live up to the ideals. And now we're in a mode where our rights are eroding. You know, and I find that the the economic hitman story or information is very prescient for what's happening in our society now. You know, our freedoms are eroding. Yeah. Um, I, I, you look at like the movie The Matrix, and it said that our, our the peak of our civilization was 1999, and it's almost like a kind of. <laughs> it's like a, almost like a prophecy, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I, I think that more and more. I'm like, Jesus, we're getting way, we're getting worse and worse all the time. Not better. It's better now than it, in in many ways, but it's also, you know, well, it's, we're we're it's, less free now than we were 20 years ago. Yeah, I think it's a lot more nuanced, you know, because, like, what what's better compared to what have we lost? 
And right. you can't really judge it on a 1920s or 1950s or a 1870s kind of perspective because it's not just, hey, we came over here because we wanted to start a farm and escape religious persecution. Like that's like if you want to do that, you can do that, but you still have to file all these permits to have a farm with the government to pay all these taxes and abide by all these, you know, like EPA and, and other things and all these right. regulations. Yeah, if you want a and, business license to sell, you have to spend money. Well, yeah, you can still do it, but it's more nuanced. Right. It's, uh, you know, in some ways with gay marriage and uh, the acceptance of trans people, it's getting better for those groups. But at the same time, our freedom of speech is being eroded, you know. Yeah. There's other things that are happening. And with every good thing that comes, it seems like a new bad thing happens. Yeah, one or two bad things happen. Oh, potentially. I mean, I'm not going to argue that we're not in a better place than we were in 1950 in, you know, as a society, because we are. Yeah. Um, but we're well, still not. It's weird because... The, I think, and and maybe society as a whole doesn't care, and maybe society as a whole is way better, but listening to some of the news media and some of the politicians, right, like, uh, just going off that, America is way more open towards um, homosexuals and transsexuals and- Minorities of all kinds. Any minorities of all kinds, and yet- uh, and I don't know if you saw this, but uh, one of the governors is trying to pass a law that gives him access to menstrual cycles for women so that he can tell if they've gone to an abortion clinic. I did see that. So, you know, it's like, are we really better or, <laughs> or are we not? Well, I don't know. Well, um, the technology that makes our lives better in several ways is also ensnaring us and yeah. allowing uh, the government and the corporations to collude to control us more. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Uh, like it's 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 way more nuanced because it's not just your neighbor accusing you of satanic rituals on your dairy farm. You know, right. like yeah. there's there's other things. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, uh, just like to be clear, I've, I've never it's a lot owned a dairy for farm. Meet each other now than ever. You know. Yeah. Uh, which is good and bad. Uh, depends on your definition of weirdo, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're old enough now to we're not affected by many of the things like yeah. uh, online dating culture, which is just bizarre. Uh, yeah. From what I'm told, you know, I don't really know. That well, could I mean, all be hype. I I don't know either, but I I mean I met my wife on uh, online dating, but right. it was it was pre app. So there wasn't this swipe right, swipe left kind of thing. Uh, right. The attitude was totally different. And it wasn't really hookup culture, you know. Right. Yeah, hookup culture wasn't a thing at that point. I mean, we were close enough to the well, AIDS it was, but it was people relegated were... to the frat houses. Yeah, yeah. It was considered juvenile behavior, and people were yeah still afraid of AIDS and things of that nature, I think. <laughs> yeah. Then now and, it's uh, kind of like... It's almost uh, celebrated by media now. It's a little weird, culture, and 
you know, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, I don't care. Really. I don't think. Um, Does it bother me? But I don't know which, which way is better. You know, like whatever works for you, for you in your life. But right, uh, it's just kind of weird that, you know, and, and it's probably a pendulum thing like most things are, you know. We had the kind of the super repressed era of, you know, you, you meet your high school sweetheart and then you wait till marriage and then you have kids. And, and then uh, you get a divorce. And then you get a divorce and then you get a secretary <laughs> and you get a nanny and a maid. And suddenly you have three wives, uh, none legally. And, you know, but I did see one thing was the reason boomers want to go back to the office is so they can have affairs again. Oh, really? Yeah. But just a meme. Like it was a meme. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't like an actual look study. <laughs> mm -hmm. Most of the boomers are retiring. A lot of them are. They're old. They're aging out. Yeah. I saw news, uh, a news story that there was a Republican who wanted to raise the uh, Social Security age is 72 because so many boomers want to continue to work. As if Social Security age is preventing them from continuing to work. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and people actually want to work until they're 72, which is insane. I don't even want to work till I'm 32 and I'm 36, so. Right. Yeah, I don't. Preferably, <laughs> I wouldn't be working. You know what I mean? I know, right? Or I'd be working on having fun. <laughs> Well, I don't not mind working I, I, on, I like, like my job. Uh, I do like my job. That's not what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like... I don't. I don't like my job. Uh, I don't think I'm contributing anything to society in the greater whole, and I don't think that I'm really helping anybody uh, be better in life or, right. you know, like, I don't know. And I guess, like, that's something that kind of defines our generation is most of our generation wants something that they, that they can, like, believe and justify. And, right. um I don't know. Like, I mean, I'd rather not work at all and just like hang out and podcast and watch right. movies and play games, you know, and like not be a drain on society, but I don't really want to work. I consciously worked hard to find a career where I didn't feel like I had to cheat and steal and lie and take advantage of people. Um, yeah. Cause that's like definitely on the horizon when I was in college. Like, yeah. A lot of people had that plan. Like their plan was just to be a piece of shit and make money yeah. doing it. And I could see that in myself at that time that I could definitely have gone down that path. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an e a very easy temptation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's part of the EHN thing too, right? Like, yep. Those the that's his story was. Oh, I felt really guilty. But then you're consciously aware that all these other people don't feel guilty. <laughs> yeah. Well, they feel and, totally justified in being And he was assholes. staying in these like amazing hotels and having, I'm sure there's a lot of women he didn't mention in the book. Oh, he heavily insinuated, but he never explicitly said yeah, anything. Yeah. yeah. That he was going around the world and sleeping with a bunch of, you know, poor prostitutes and stuff, basically. Yeah. People his daddy wouldn't approve of. Right. Yeah. Not because they were a whore, but because they were poor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all about poverty, you know? That's kind of like the sex tourism of Thailand or whatever. Yeah, or like the states' rights to the south. <laughs> right. It's a, yeah, it's a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> I love bringing that up just randomly from time to time. Um, 
lest we forget. Well, it's authorized again. Maybe. Probably not, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I thought it was interesting. It was it was a good read. I would definitely... This isn't meant as like a, a this isn't meant as a negative towards anybody, but uh, just knowing Mike and myself, like these are kind of conclusions that through our own private research or curiosity or whatever we've kind of suspected. Uh, and I wouldn't say this like this book doesn't one hundred percent prove anything. Right. It's possible that it is astroturf laid down by the government. Well, yeah. Because that was the one thing I didn't really get. Uh, Oh, I'll get to that in just a second. I just wanted to say, like, you and I have already kind of come to the conclusion that corporations run everything. Mm -hmm. Like, independently. Like, we came to that conclusion independent of one another. And somebody who maybe is starting to think, like, man, like, life isn't what I thought it was going to be. This would be a great book to be like, well, here's kind of, like, a different take on how the world works. It's not necessarily proven and true, but it's just a different perspective on how things might be working. So I think in in that sense, it's good. And I think for people like you or I, it's probably a little bit too elementary or or doesn't like it, it it pulls too many of the punches that it could have, have have given. Yes. I, none of it was a revelation to me. Let's put it that way. It was a confirmation, yeah. confirmation of what I already more or less felt that I knew was true. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, And it's just obvious when you look at why is Michelle Obama doing speeches for half a million dollars? Right? There's no reason yeah. why she should be doing that. There's no reason why anybody would give a shit what she has to say. Yeah. Uh, other than paying, paying bribes. Yeah. Legally. You know, well, yeah. like this is back payment for what you already have done. And it's part of the gig. It's, it's not even for Obama. It is directly for Obama, but it's so the next guy knows that they're going to get the same treatment. Yeah, you get taken care of if you play the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to be partying with Richard Branson three days after you're not fucking president anymore. Yeah. You know, at his palace of prostitutes in the middle of the Caribbean. Yep, he used to be Epstein yeah. Island, but now we got to go to a different island. So, oh, I don't think that Richard Branson's running underage ones. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying that they all used to go to Epstein Island, mm-hmm. uh, but then he had an unfortunate run-in um, with suicide. Right. He must have pushed the wrong button. Yeah. He, he must have said the wrong thing too many times. I'm guessing. Who knows? Well, everybody's expendable. So, well, I think. And I don't know. I, I I don't know. I think that he probably thought he needed more grease on his wheels than he was being given. Right. And somebody finally said, that's enough. And yeah. I think that's what happened. Cut your losses. So there's another person doing exactly what he was doing oh, yeah. right now. At least one. <laughs> I'm well, sure right. multiple. At least one. Um, but what gets me about that whole thing is like we've got proof. Of Elon Musk and Ghislaine Maxwell. And we've got proof that all of these people went there. But there's no outrage against them. It's not It's not brought to people's attention. Um, you know, the average person doesn't have this 
as a hobby, uh, like I do, right? <laughs> yeah. So they're focused on team X, you know, people get so, uh, engrossed in that sort of business, their hobbies, which I'm engrossed in my hobbies as well. Don't get me oh, wrong. I love my hobbies, but I'm still trying to be aware of what's going on and who's a fucking douchebag. Right. They're just more so like, you know, you see the people, I've been to people's houses where you go to their little, little man cave room and every square inch is covered with Vikings propaganda, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As if the Minnesota Vikings are worthy of your attention. Yeah. Or, they're, you know what well, I mean? They're, like, they're my team. Right. Or if you look on the online spaces where there's like the woman hater club and the, the man hater yeah, club yeah. and the 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 BIPOC love club and the whatever, the blah, blah, blah. You know, people get obsessed with these things. Oh, yeah. Completely irrelevant. They're nonsense for the most part. But yeah. Um, there's like a grain of truth and then they somehow meaningful to their lives, you know, and it's, uh, people, it's easy to operate in the open. Yeah. Largely, everybody doesn't nobody care. cares yeah. or pays attention. You know, it's, uh, fascinating. Well, and it's crazy how naive a lot of people are. Like, honestly, right. well, you know, because like. That picture of Elon and, and uh, Ghislaine, and Elon's like, well, I didn't know anything about anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay. You yeah, know, okay, like, buddy. But, but, people, but people will believe him. Like, oh, he couldn't have known. Are you kidding me, man? Like, there's people that you just know something's off about. Right. Right? And I'm not saying everybody has, like, some kind of weird, like, sixth sense, but... You don't get to be in Elon's position by being an absolute moron. Right. He claims to be a super genius. Well, I mean, he claims. But, like, there's a whole different kind of training that these rich people get from their families that the average citizen doesn't get. Right. You know, like the the interacting with people or... um, Right, because like, what are most people taught? Like, honesty is the best thing. Well, these people aren't taught that. They're taught say something super benign, so you have time to think and formulate your response. So that's what they do. You know, they put together their word track and go from there. But right, listen to a politician, and they've got spin people. Say absolutely nothing. So, like, when that picture came out, Elon called his spin person or PR person and said, "What? What is my story here?" Mm Hmm. By the way, not to yes. break the subject, no, I am halfway through. Me as well, um, and it's good. It's good. Yeah, I was it's, uh, um, gotten better. It has. It started off good, and it's gotten better. Yeah, I was a little apprehensive uh, with the quality control issues we had on the first one. Right, but this is definitely a worthy so far. So far, yeah. So far, good. So far, I've, I've been enjoying it. Yeah. Yep, I agree. So, yeah, that like I say, or like we've been talking about, it's not a re- uh, it's not a revelation to somebody like you and I. This would be more of a somebody who's gung ho on a team to read 
Yeah. And then to research, you know, the yeah. legitimacy of the claims. I think, though, that, you know, if you if somebody is rah-rah about sports ball and uh, things like that, <clears throat> this isn't something that you say, you got to read this man. This is more for somebody who's like, hey, man, why does everything suck all the time and why can't I get ahead in life? You'd be like, oh, check this book out. It'll give you a little bit different perspective on life. Maybe something useful to you. You know what I mean? Like... We, it's not a book you evangelize people with. No, they have to be already interested in the subject. They have to be interested in something other than the status quo. Right. Or at least questioning why they are. Yeah. I mean, so like, um, and I don't know if I talk about this on the podcast or not. Maybe I did. If I did and I'm repeating myself, I apologize. But uh, this is very similar. Like this book is very similar, I think, because uh, I grew up Lutheran. And I was trying, when I went to college, I was trying to like really, because it never really clicked with me, you know, like I, I went and was baptized when I was not conscious yet and went through confirmation and didn't really understand like why we're drinking somebody's blood or eating somebody's like flesh, you know, um, and stuff like that. And I just didn't feel the same stuff that everybody else like appeared to feel. And so in college, I joined some like a Bible study group, but they were Southern Baptists and they're a whole different thing. But I read uh, Alexander von Daniken's book, Chariots of the Gods, in which he's a devout Catholic, apparently. Uh, he's also a criminal, FYI, just up front. But he wrote a whole book on all of the miracles in the Bible were alien spaceships, right? So I've heard so, of that. So Sodom, and, so Sodom and Gomorrah um, – weren't the wrath of God. It, they were trying to refuel the alien spaceship, but they didn't, they were so primitive that the nuclear reactor of the spaceship like exploded and turned everything to ash. And he claimed to have gone over there and, and studied the trees and got radiation levels off of the trees from like that era, uh, which is complete bullshit because this guy's like a forge forgery artist and, and I don't know, whatever. He's like a con man, like hundred percent. Mm -hmm. Um, but here's the thing is that book is the sole reason, not the sole reason, but it was the catalyst that made me admit that I'm an atheist. <laughs> and the reason why is because I believed the sci-fi bullshit more than I believed there was some all-knowing figure up in the sky watching down on all of us. So I guess the 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 correlation is you don't have to necessarily believe that this guy is an economic hitman or that those things actually exist. You just have to believe that there are people out there that would totally fuck you over for $4 million. Oh, we know that. We know that. I mean, well, what would yeah, you do for $4 million? <laughs> you, you and I know that. Why? What are you offering, Mike? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Look at what people do for OnlyFans money, for God's sake. Hey, sakes. man, I'm not gay, but 20 is 20. That's right. <laughs> 20 bucks, 20 bucks. <laughs> so, you know, I guess that, that would be my kind of like counterpoint is you don't, you don't even have to, you don't have to read the book and believe all of the stuff is true. It might be, it might not be. It's tough to say because what do they say about wars? The victor writes the history books. Absolutely. So you don't, I mean, you know, you don't have to necessarily believe it, but you, you know, if you're, 
is one of those things where if you're dissatisfied with the current state of things and are looking for another explanation other than what mainstream media gives you, I think you couldn't go wrong by reading this book. Right. I I agree with that. Um, and it's very rudimentary. It's I'm not aware of anything that's going to be super detailed and exposes certain things. I, I think that anybody who has that information is either with the program or is afraid to release specific details. You know what I mean? Even this Perkins guy didn't release super specific details for, I'm sure, his own safety. No, and I know a lot of uh, the military memoirs, you know, like admirals and generals put out, mm -hmm. they have to go through the, the DOG. Or DOJ, mm -hmm. Department of Justice, whatever that one is, um, and then they get like final redaction, right? So, right. If this guy and he wasn't working for the government, ha ha ha. But that was the one thing I was going to say earlier. The one thing I never understood was uh, throughout the book he was like, "Yeah, I, uh, one chapter was called I take a bribe." Right. And so he took like this big high paying job to not write this book. Like that was the interview. Like, are you going to write that book? And he's like, no, I will not. And the guy was like, great. Here's like a fuck ton of money. Right. Um, but then he kept saying like, and then my daughter, like, I felt like I needed to do more for my daughter, but he never ever explained how or why he could publish the book suddenly when everybody wanted him not to. Well, I think that uh, he his consulting gig ended, so he was no longer getting the bribe money. Well, I know he was no longer getting the bribe money, but if they wanted that badly to keep it off, and they were paying him the bribe money, why wouldn't they have done something else? If they didn't, if they truly didn't want this out, they could have just killed him, and nobody right. would ever know who he was, right? That's because he wasn't true. in the public eye. So, like no, that was the was only not. thing. If so, if you're reading this as a critical reader like he never explains how or why he finally felt comfortable publishing this book because the way he phrased it or the way he was building up to it was he was not only risking his life but his daughter's life but then he was like but i have to do this for my daughter and here's the book but you just told me three 13 chapters ago that they were going to kill you and your daughter if you publish this book so Right. Well, at what? a certain point, once you become a public figure for writing the book, then you're protected again. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you're I, playing a dangerous game if it's true, right? Let's though, be critical if it's but, but true. So, like, so let's look at this. Like, just let's look at this. Because you had said maybe he's a corporate shill and they mm -hmm. wanted this book published so they could refute it. Right? So they have – because that's the, that's the important thing when you're telling a narrative is you need to address the opposing viewpoint. Yes. And so if they were like, look, you can you can write this book, but you can't tell anybody we said it was okay to write this book, but you give us final edit over the book, then you can put the book out. And if you want to do the second edition, you just put a bunch of shamanism and plastic bags are evil and we'll call it that. Right. And sell you more know. copies. And then and then you can sell more copies, you get maybe that's oh. his new bribe, right? Like maybe he was bribed. By saying that, yeah, you can publish your book, but we're going to edit it and make sure you're not telling anything too damning. It's possible. Well, I'm sure you noticed, as I did, that his first wife 
had family ties to the NSA. Yes. And his second wife had family ties to Bechtel International. Yes. But she so, was she was the second wife, he said, was was very knowing and, and not in the corporate whatever, whatever. Yes, but her father is. Wink wink. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not true, but I'm saying that he was still tied in with that. Oh, I'm saying it's structure, it's you know. Highly fucking suspect. Yes. But and and that's and that's why I brought up the chariots of the gods because it's ab- the chariots of the gods is absolutely ridiculous, right? Oh, yeah, aliens yeah. coming down and fucking with, I don't know, you know, like one one A.D. era humanity, like it's fucking bullshit, right? right? Like why would they come here to refuel? Like fuck no, <laughs> go, go find somewhere else. Uh, just for it's just as a sci-fi fan, right? Like. Yeah, Stargate, I get it, um, but the Bible did not set itself up like Stargate. So, I, you know, and and all of our historical uh, research and stuff has not set us up to be like in Stargate. So, it's absolute, uh, Chariots of the Gods is absolute drivel. Like, it's it's silly and it's ridiculous, but the fact was it made more sense than what the Christians yes. believe. So, and I think that's the important thing to remember is this book, uh, Confessions or New Confessions or Old Confessions or whatever he's going to call the next one, might not be true. It might be partially true. It might be 100% true. It might be 0% true. We don't know. We don't know. The fact is that it outlines probably what's happening. Yes. And, it, and and if he was able to write this and he got money and they and they the people he's trying to expose edited it so that they weren't exposed but still had that out there like it's it doesn't really matter as long as you can read something and open your mind to something that is probably happening but is different from what the mainstream media says. And there, and and the reason it came out is because they can point to it and say it's a conspiracy theory. It's just like Alex Jones, right? That's one of the conspiracy theories around Alex Jones is that I've heard the conspiracy theory, and it's a conspiracy theory. I have no evidence that it's true. Yeah, but one of the conspiracy theories is that he does in fact have a contact with the government, and they leak stories to him. Some of them are true, and some of them are false. Mm-hmm. And they use the false stories as cover for the true stories so that if a mainstream person or journalist discovers the story that Alex covered, they can point to Alex Jones and call him a conspiracy theorist and then can vampires or whatever, you know, yeah. they can denigrate the story that is true based on. Who broke the story first? So it delegitimizes it. Yeah. Not because it's not true. It's all a plan. And in some cases, that only verifies the new confessions of an economic hitman, where they've got all these new sets of tools available to their their craft. So if anything, that only further proves that this book is true. Right. And the company he worked for 
I think one of the big reasons is the company is no longer in business. So he's yeah. throwing in a he's a uh, throwing shade on a company that doesn't exist. Yeah, the people nobody... still exist, but he didn't name a lot of individuals no, who were alive. <laughs> so, so, and that might have been part of the thing too. You know, like you would right. you would suspect somebody in his position uh, with his credentials would be able to name everybody still currently active. You know, but he didn't. So right, he used pseudonyms for a lot of these people. Yeah, uh, and he said that they were pseudonyms. He didn't. Yeah, I mean, at least he disclosed, he was yeah, he disclosed that fact. So, you know, I think uh, by and large, it was it was a good read. Definitely one right. uh, to, that I that I'll keep in my you know mental bank if somebody ever is like, man, a lot of weird things have been going on. I wonder what's going on right now. I'd say, well, you know, maybe give this book a read. Um, I don't. Well, know it informs could... you if you believe that the story is true, which I do. Yeah. Then something like the Ukraine war makes total sense. Oh yeah, it's not an accident, right? No, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, and it's, I it's think, not an accident uh, that we're giving these people weapon systems so that we can build more weapon systems. Yeah, and then they're paying us like it's not. We're not giving it to them. We're giving them a loan. Yeah, <laughs> we're giving a country that might not even exist on the planet in a couple of years a loan. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, this is very, you know. <laughs> yeah. So. so. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, it was a good read. He goes into it is. a little It's worth more... a read if you haven't read it. Yeah. Um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, if you're not terribly interested in, you know, world politics and inter-global empires and stuff like that, then probably not for you, but... If you're looking for something that kind of it's a nice outline of what could have been happening or what might be happening or what is happening, uh, depending on how seriously you take all of it. It's definitely a different perspective than most people get in school or from the news media. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, one thing that is certain is that most of the perspectives you get in public education and in college are not the truth. Yeah. It's the truth that our society wants you to have, but it's not the actual truth. (laughs) So it's all propaganda. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, most things are these days. Oh, for sure. For sure. But maybe even going back, I mean, who knows? Oh, this book, The the Confessions of an Economic Hitman, most likely propaganda. Um, It all depends on your interpretation of it, right? Yeah. So, everything has to be taken with a heavy grain of salt. It it reminds me of the Bob Lazar book. You know, I'm not sure. Have you read the Bob Lazar book? Uh, Which one? Uh, where he discusses working for the government on a secret lab investigating alien technology. Oh, no, I haven't read it, but I I remember, I think you mentioned it and I looked it up because he was the guy that kind of broke the, you know, air quote, broke the Area 51 stuff, right? Yes, yes. And it's, he's even, he even acknowledges that 
he could just be an unwitting tool of the government propaganda yeah. during the Cold War. Right. Well, that's like, <laughs> he's that's not like, even... that's like super fucked up. Like either he is totally aware that he's breaking like stuff, but he was warned under threat of death or his family's death that he needed to include that he didn't know if he was or wasn't to delegitimize his own story or like they're that good and nobody knows if you're a pawn in some bigger game. Right. And, and, both, and both are equally plausible. frightening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, finished a book and it was about uh, the Manson family. And okay. it's more or less the same shit. How there's layers and layers of the Manson family. Yeah. And uh, very clear evidence that the people who surrounded Charles Manson were involved with the CIA and MK Ultra and uh things like that. Okay. And uh, there's a very good possibility that he was being protected by the government because he would potentially have a medical experiment by the government, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah. And it's also pretty clear that the prosecution of Charles Manson and the Manson family left out a significant amount of information that questioned the official narrative about Helter Skelter and all this nonsense. Yeah. So very interesting. The United States government's done some very questionable things. So I'm not going to object to that. Right. To what I extent know, I don't true, know that anybody... it's all shrouded in mystery on purpose. So Yeah, it's intentionally dense mm -hmm. or uh, convoluted. It, it's, it's plausible deniability, or you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the name of the game. Yeah, plausible, Can you plausible, plausible deniability? deniability. Can you convince somebody that it's a conspiracy theory? Um, yeah. Can you create reasonable doubt? Yeah. And I think... I think my biggest letdown of the uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, the the new edition, was his How to Combat It was, right. was very dumb. Like, very dumb. Um, would it work if everybody read the book and everybody did the things? Yes, probably. Um, but they'd probably pivot to something else, you know what I mean? So, oh, for sure. It's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, Mike, you don't like Uncle Joe. Here's how you can defeat Uncle Joe. Uh, <laughs> shop at Whole Foods. Don't use plastic <laughs> bags. And make sure you drive uh, an uh, electric vehicle. And then you have defeated Uncle Joe. Well, the problem is Uncle Joe is in on the take on all of those things that you're now supporting. Regardless of if it's gas, petroleum, fossil fuels, solar, uh, nuclear, whatever. Like, he's in on the take on all of it. So one individual citizen cannot defeat Uncle Joe or Trump or Bush or Clinton or any of these people all the way back. Because they've set it up to be a big system. It's not one person. It's a big system. And all of these one people... One person's, they're part of the system, and any one of the people can fail in the system, but they have redundant backup systems to right. cover those it's a failures. part of the environment. Yeah. 
It's and that's very true. Like I say, just look when Obama ran against McCain, he got the yep. same amount of money from Halliburton. Yeah, Halliburton was directly connected to Dick Cheney. Yep. So they didn't care who won. No, why would they? Didn't matter. <laughs> didn't matter to them. It didn't nope. matter at all. <laughs> They've got the money to burn because they don't pay taxes. So, and the people that get elected guarantee that. Yep. <laughs> because they all get the same amount of money. <laughs> yep. That's uh, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene was. Uh, I, I find her interesting at times. She says this outlandish stuff, but when Kevin McCarthy was uh, going for the speakership, she was criticizing certain people because uh, she's like, Kevin McCarthy gave you $1.8 million. That means you have to vote for him. And she just said it in public like yeah, it was no big deal. And that's what she's used for is a foil. She can say all this crazy shit yeah, yeah. and people dismiss it because she's a ridiculous person. But there's a kernel of truth. Well, yeah. I mean, that's how it works, right? Like, Kevin yep. McCarthy's a speaker because he funnels a shit ton of money from corporations to the lower level politicians. That's yeah. why he's there. Just like Nancy Pelosi. Yep. You know? But that's the uh, that's the 101 essay writing, right? Mm-hmm. From college. you have When you write an essay, you always have to include and then counter the uh, the opposing viewpoint. So, you know, but that's the thing is like the government and the corporations, they make their own counterpoint that they can easily refute. Like they make, they make their own opposition that they can easily refute. Right. And And they they can easily manufacture it and none of us can actually prove that they're manufacturing it. No, there's plausible deniability. Yeah. And they want to focus on, like I say, it's always some bullshit issue. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't affect anybody. It's nonsense talking. Nothing's going to be done about it anyway. No. And even if something gets done about it, it doesn't even matter because by and large, nobody cared to begin with. Right. I think that a lot of politicians co-opt these uh, social issues to champion, to draw attention away from other things. Oh, for not, sure. Not saying, it... these, not saying these social causes aren't legitimate and shouldn't be happening, but that politicians will use them to champion them louder than the nefarious thing that they're doing in the background. You, you called it out earlier. It's a great way to get ordinary jack-offs to other, other ordinary. Ultimately, they have way more in common with then they have not in common. Yeah. You know, the, the, the everyday jack off that's going to the E free church down the street has way more in common with me than the fucking power brokers on the television. You know what I mean? Yeah. And let's way and more. Let's, com- and let's go, let's go a step closer. The common jack off going to the E free church down the street has a lot more in common than you than the mayor of your town has with you or them. Ah, well, not my town, your town. Well, mayor of my town is just an everyday normal jack off too. <laughs> yeah. But, well, you know ja- what I mean? <laughs> but a, but a jack off with political aspirations is different than just a normal jack off. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> 
That is very Just true. to keep things in perspective. Right. That is that is very true. If you don't think there's corporations uh, making huge political moves, read this book and maybe you'll think that they are making huge political moves. Right. Anybody who doesn't believe that isn't paying attention to how campaign finance works. Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying know, to bring it, it back. Right. No, I, I understand. Like, I understand. <laughs> yeah. It's like Joe Manchin, right? He's a Democrat, but he's also funded by the uh, coal industry. Yeah. I guarantee you that whatever Republican runs against him every year is also funded by the coal industry. They don't care who wins. It doesn't matter. Yep. It doesn't matter to them. <laughs> All the politicians play on the same side, which is not the side of their constituents. Me. That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that the railroad negotiations would have went any differently if there was a different president? Nope. Probably not. <laughs> it couldn't have gone any worse. So. <laughs> yeah. Always interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So I'm about a quarter of the way I have left, about a quarter. Yep. Uh, mine is not as good as it was. It's not as good. It's not it's not terrible. Uh, I'm just above the wrapper, so. Oh, I took my wrapper off a while ago, but. Yeah, I'm going to take mine off here just in a second, but. Left or so, I would say. Yep. It's getting sour notes in it. Yeah, but not crazy. It, not it's, crazy. It's slightly sour, not overwhelmingly so. Uh, it's not not as sour as the nubs got. The nubs got very sour pretty quickly. Most mm-hmm. of them. Um, this one's got. I've a little, also been kind of letting it sit more. Yeah, that's. Uh, I've switched to that because I I picked up a couple couple sour hints, and so I've been letting it sit a little bit longer now in between puffs. Um, but all in all, I'd say this one is is vastly preferred uh, to the to the classic. Oh, easily, easily. Uh, it's got flavor throughout, and that's good. Didn't fall yep. apart. Didn't fall apart. <laughs> that's the biggest thing. There is. Uh, I want to smoke it. I don't want to try and reassemble it. I don't want right. a cigar from IKEA. Oh, right, right. I don't think that this is necessarily better than. A bulk cigar from a well-respected brand. I keep on no, going back to the Alec Bradleys. Yeah, because the they Fuma. just—they're good. Wasn't the Fuma the, like fantastic? Yeah, the, Fu- the Fuma or Fuma or whatever. Yeah, that was, those were great. <laughs> yeah, like I would smoke that over this for sure. Oh, that um, was, I was—I like the the Fumas better than the regular <laughs> Rocky Patels. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. So I think I did. Uh, I thought they were great. Yeah, but this one is so far the best uh, Five Vegas. I've smoked. Uh, we still have the cask one to go, so right. we'll see about that. But uh, and that's supposed to be significantly higher quality. I'm guessing. I don't. I would know. hope. I'm not saying that I would turn it down for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just and, not the top well, tier to, cigar. Which and is, to be honest, I wouldn't turn down the Five Vegas Classic. No, it was fine. You know, I, there's not a lot of cigars I would turn down. Uh. There are a few I would, but there's not many. Yes. Yes. I would spend money on this. I don't think I'd spend more than five bucks on it. No, probably not. Yeah. Um, You know, if I was at a casino, let's say, and I was going to go to slot machine, I guess, 
Is that what people do in casinos these that's days? Where, that's, I don't know. That's where you go, right? Yeah, right. I think that's what people do. Uh, this would be fine to sit in front of a slot machine and, you know, uh, yeah. put a paycheck into or something. Yeah. I, I, I really, uh, I don't know if we've ever talked about that, but I'm not a gambler for the most part. <laughs> so well, I see people gambling. I'm like, Jesus Christ, how do you enjoy that? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so we watched a couple movies that had a kind of a gambling theme. And they're from, you know, older, like the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and stuff, but I've only gambled in a casino, I think twice. Uh, once I played blackjack and I, and I went in with 20 bucks and I told myself I'm done when I lose the 20 or when I double the 20 because I went in as entertainment. Right. So I'm like, right. For 20 bucks, I can go see a movie with popcorn or nowadays see part of a movie with no popcorn. But, um, you know, I just look at it as entertainment. Like I'm spending twenty bucks to just have fun. I'm not. Right. I'm not betting pick slips. I'm not betting the mortgage on the house. I'm not. You know, I'm just. I'm going in with twenty bucks, and I, and I ended up doubling my money, and I quit, and that was and that was that. But I stuck by my guns. I didn't get. I didn't get the fever. Right. Like, oh, I double my money. I bet I could double this, because that's what they want you to do. Uh, and then once, and then once Sarah and I went, and we just we put like I don't know five or ten bucks each into slot machines, uh, which I think is the dumbest thing ever. Um, <laughs> but whatever, like at least with blackjack, you can feel like you are have an effect on the outcome. So you know, I don't know, like it's fine, anything's fine, like whatever you want to do for entertainment. But you know, I viewed gambling as entertainment instead of I could make two house payments if I can just turn this. 20 bucks into $2,000, you know, like it's unrealistic expectations, you know, and like even doubling your money, regardless if it's 20 or 200, like that's pretty unrealistic. But, you know, I set those caps going in, like, I'm not going to get addicted to this. I'm not going to make fucking stupid decisions with this. Either I lose the 20 and I'm done or I double it and I'm done. So I've seen thousands of dollars go into ETAB machines. Oh, yeah. I just don't get it. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't get the pull tab thing. That's a whole other culture, you know. Oh yeah, dude, I've seen so much money dropped on pull tabs. <laughs> I'm sure I've told you the story of seeing my friends put fifteen hundred dollars into a fucking pull tab box and <laughs> losing yep. everything. <laughs> yeah. It's like Jesus. And I've yep. seen guys win lots of money on the pull tab box. Oh yeah. But you're never gonna get ahead on that, especially because you have to fill out a little receipt. And the government taxes you after you make five hundred bucks. Yep. So, yeah, you won five hundred bucks or something, but now you're taxed on the five hundred bucks. And how much yep. money did you put in? And blah blah blah. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. Well, people that get five hundred bucks <laughs> in pull tabs, they're not the one-time casual player. They're the ones that are like, give me a stack of these things. Right. You know. Oh yeah. Like it's a whole oh, culture. Yeah. It's a pull tab culture. It's crazy. E-tabs is supposed to be a continuation of that. It's bizarre. In North Dakota, they have these E-tab machines that look just like slot machines. Okay. And they're fucking huge. And uh, it's just bizarre. <laughs> and they, they're really bright and they're very loud. And I yep. can see people getting that antsy feeling like an addict, you know? It's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Interestingly enough, that's the only reason season two is happening because I was getting antsy. Uh not for the cigars or nicotine. 
Uh, but for Mike, I was getting antsy for Mike. It's very sweet, Nate. Very sweet. I have maybe an inch and a half left, and it is sour for sure. Yeah, it's pretty sour now. Um, but that's not unusual with a lot of the sticks that we smoke. So, no, no, it's um, it's right in the zone. It's um, in the zone. I'm not gonna say anything bad about it for sure. No, it's you know it's one of those ones you smoke and it's great for you know three quarters or a little more, uh, maybe four fifths or whatever the next fraction is. I don't know. Uh, right. When I pull up my socket set, I'll tell you. Um, right. <laughs> but no, this yep. one was uh, much more enjoyable than the other one. Um, I'm not sure if it's one that I would uh, consistently reach for, but if it, if if I was in a cigar shop and the price point was right, I wouldn't be opposed to grabbing a couple of these. No, no. If you're in a shoot the breeze, it's a good enough cigar. Uh, yeah. Five bucks. Well worth the money for that, I yeah. would say. I, I There's would, better I options agree. at that price, but yeah, you're at the mercy of what's available. So yeah, pretty much. A lot of the smokes that we've been uh, trying, or at least last season, I got them for a very good price. But cigar shop prices are mostly about ten bucks. Yeah, you know. Yep, you're starting around eight, and then going up from there. So right, yeah, yeah. This one's definitely a firm. I wouldn't spend eight bucks on this, but no, five for sure. No, no, and and we, you know, typically we bulk buy from the internet. So, yeah, yeah, that's that's how you save money. Yep, so. and that's how you can try a lot of these different uh, different cigars. So, oh, um, absolutely, you got to have multiple humidors. I actually did humidor maintenance today. Yeah, yeah, so. I went down the other uh, the other day, and I was like, oh, I got to top up all the uh, all my Boveda bags were you know the dry dried out and hard, so. I topped up all my my pucks, and I'm gonna grab some more Pavita bags. Yeah, uh, I'm actually soaking mine in uh, distilled water right now. Okay, I've tried that, and it seems to work fine. Oh, okay. Uh, obviously, you have to protect. Once you put them back in, you have to protect everything with a little plastic layer or something, you know. Yep. But it seems to be at least so you can soak them once or twice before they stop being useful. Yeah, they're not terribly expensive to begin with, and they're also not a sponsor. But uh, no, but they're industry standard product, and yeah, you know, I'm cheap. good stuff. I'll reuse everything I can. Yep. <laughs> Don't reuse the condoms, man. Oh, you turn them inside out. That's true. <laughs> uh, did you know that the uh, the ribbed condoms don't actually taste like ribs? I've never tasted a rib condom. It's the big. It's the biggest letdown ever. <laughs> My buddy was like, hey, man, these taste like ribs. I'm like, really? That's that's a lie. That's a joke. Um. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a French tickler. <laughs> yeah, I saw. I, I haven't actually seen one. Like, I've seen machines that sell them. So, Oh, I saw one in person, yeah. Okay. My, uh, my dad, uh, he had his old, like, Vietnam stash. Okay. And uh, so he had, like, combat boots and medals and... All kinds of shit from that era. Yeah. In a box in the basement. And okay. he had some French Dicklers in there. Classic. <laughs> yep. So I have, in fact, seen them. <laughs> well, they do exist, people. They do. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Take care. Take care.